Good morning. It is great to see you all, folks here in person, people online. Hey, hello in your living room. Um, well, it, it's, it is Palm Sunday. It definitely is. And what that means in many churches is that we hand little kids palm branches to wave and we parade them in front of the adults. And if you grew up with this tradition and love it, or if you're just hearing about it now for the very first time, you have to admit it's a little weird. Yeah, it's kind of a weird churchy thing. And here at the Vineyard, one of our values is don't be weird. Well, really, it's don't be weird unless you've got a good reason and you explain it and it points to Jesus. So today, we're going to unpack, we're going to dive deep into the weirdness of Palm Sunday. So, start out, we're going to read the story of Palm Sunday from the Bible. Grab a Bible. We're in John chapter 12, it's page 734 in the Bibles we've got here. And um, before this happens, the palm business, uh, what we got is Jesus has been doing all this great teaching. He's been uh, teaching about how he's the good shepherd, and then he goes to Bethany and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That is super cool. And now he's on the way to Jerusalem for Passover for the festival. So again, we're in John chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Yeah, the priests, the Pharisees, they are plotting to kill Jesus. But Jesus is plotting too. Jesus is plotting to die, to lay down his life. And in fact, what we're about to see here, Jesus has planned it. He is orchestrating the whole thing. He has arranged for the crowd to be there. He's asked the disciples to go get the donkey. Jesus is control in controlling all of this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this, because it was so weird. I mean, what kind of king rides in on a donkey? Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. All right, this isn't just weird now, it was weird back then. Um, Picture, just imagine this in our world today, that people are putting up Christmas trees, right? And at the very same time, they're hiding Easter eggs and they're exchanging Valentines all at once. That's what we got going on here, right? The, the language here, Hosanna, it points to Passover and it was Passover then. 
But the, uh, the whole palm branches business, that points to Hanukkah, to, to when celebration of the Maccabees becoming kings. And then the whole riding in on a donkey, that points to like National Nerd Day or Wimp Day. And yeah, I made that up, just like the greeting card companies made up Valentine's Day. The point is, what Jesus has orchestrated here, what the response of the people, it is weird. It should get our attention. Okay, let's look at the crowd. Let's, let's look a little, talk about the crowd. Uh, the, the leaders, the religious leaders then, they were afraid that the crowd would believe in Jesus. They predicted that the whole world would go over to him. And you know... In a way, their prediction was right. Um, Jesus basically says the same thing in the very same chapter. If you jump to verse 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Apostle Paul, early follower of Jesus, church planter, he says it a little differently. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let's look at why the crowd got so excited. Well, they're pretty excited because a guy, Lazarus, was raised from the dead. That don't happen every day. But notice, when they welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, they don't welcome him as the great physician, the great healer, the great raiser of people from the dead. They want to start a revolution. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're yelling out, blessed is the king of Israel. They want a king. Now, this might be a little controversial in America you know, land of freedom, you know, we got rid of our king. But the truth is, all humans, we long for a king, for a leader that will lead a revolution, that, that will fix this world, will fix us, that, that will actually break us from the bondage that we are enslaved in. We long for a leader, a, a leader that is powerful, powerful enough to defeat all the forces of evil, that is strong enough to, to bring purpose and meaning and fulfillment in our lives. We want a leader that's actually approachable, that is gentle and compassionate. If, if we could just find a a, a, a king, a politician, a leader like that. But that is not our experience, is it? No, just think about the world that we're in today. Think about our politicians and our celebrities and even our pastors, right? We, we want a savior. We long for a savior, but we settle. We settle for people that like maybe agree with us on a few things, a few policies, or maybe they give us a little hope or entertain us a little bit. We, we set our sights way too low. And we, we long for a powerful, a, a majestic, a fierce leader. And we settle for barbarians, people who destroy way more than they build. And, and we want a leader that is meek and lowly and sweet and we settle for wimps. You know, good people who don't get anything done. 
Isn't that the world we live in? And at the heart of this problem is that we need all three. We need a savior that is powerful while being meek. And good luck finding that combination. Well, you can find it in fiction, right? It's actually in our great stories and myths because that kind of combo leader, that is strikingly beautiful. But us humans, we don't seem to be able to do it. It seems like it's impossible for us. Why would we long for something that is impossible? Because it isn't. It's in the Bible. Yeah, let's jump to the end of the Bible, Revelation. You know, we've been in this series of talks about living the future, and we've looked a lot at Revelation 21, the beautiful picture there of the coming of the God's kingdom and how that is, can break through through Jesus in our lives now. But today we're going to go a little earlier in Revelation to Revelation chapter 5. We're in the throne room of heaven. And talk about weird. There is some crazy symbolism in Revelation. Here in Revelation chapter 5, what we have is a scroll with seven seals. And the scroll represents God's plan to bring his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven. His plan to save the world. But John, the apostle John, he's the guy that's seeing this. He says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Nobody could pull it off. Nobody could save the world. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John turns and he looks. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne. Do you see it? Jesus is the combo. He can open the scroll. He can save the world. And he is powerful. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is triumphant. And he is meek. Like a baby lamb slaughtered. Jesus is the combination for us. So, all of that to say, it's Palm Sunday. And when they first, on the first Palm Sunday, when they welcomed Jesus, they welcomed him as their king. Today, for us, will we welcome the combo, the perfect king, Jesus? Will we welcome him as our king, as our boss? I hope so. But first... Let's, um, before we decide, before we wave the palm branches and shout Hosanna, let's look closely at this king. You know, this story of Jesus riding on a donkey, it actually tells us a ton about his kingship, the kind of king he is. Let's unpack that. All right, so first, we want, we need a savior king. And that's the story of Passover. That, that's, the, that's the Hosanna Right? Passover was to remember, to commemorate that God had saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It's all about God's salvation. And Palm Sunday happens in that context, in the context of God's salvation. Yet, saved from what? You know, again, we set our sights too low. 
Back when they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on the original Palm Sunday, most of the folks, you know what they wanted to be saved from? It was from the Romans, from Roman occupation, from oppression. They wanted their country to be free. And Jesus, he is saying, he is asking them, and he is asking us to think bigger. Jesus is saying, hey, what, what good will it really do if I save you, if I liberate you from the Romans? Right? You, you'll, still, you, you'll still die, You'll still be trapped in your sin and your guilt. You'll still have the problem of a meaningless existence. Jesus is saying, I'm here to deliver you from something far greater than the enslavement of the Romans. I'm here to free you from death and from sin and from meaninglessness. He's asking us to think bigger. Will we think bigger? Will, will we step into that? Or do we think too small? See, back then, they, 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 they missed the fact that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he wasn't just doing a stunt to rally a crowd to help overthrow the government. No, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that was a preview of coming attractions of his mission. For us today, are we thinking too small? And you know, maybe the picture in Revelation 21 of God making everything new, including us, maybe that's too much for us to imagine. I mean, that's crazy, right? That that could break through, the future could break through in our lives now. Maybe we could start out by just like thinking a little bigger, right? By, by going a little bigger and seeing what God does. So rather than asking God for more money, what if we prayed for trust that God would provide? For, for freedom from the love of money, for true contentment. If we're single, rather than asking, longing for a spouse, what if we took all those things that we imagine a spouse would make our lives better and we took those to Jesus and asked him to show up there, to provide for us there, and then we, we see what happens. You know, Jesus was single and celibate and amazing. What if for us as a Duluth Vineyard community, rather than asking and longing that we can just move on, we can just get past the heartbreaking and serious things that are going on in our community, what if instead we prayed that God would use that serious situation to change us? to make us more like Jesus. To, to, even though it'll, it'll be hard and there'll be sacrifice and repentance needed, that we could actually end up being like Jesus. Scarred, but better able to help people that are hurting. What if we asked for the time, the, the patience necessary to let God's incredible light shine through the darkness? And then what about the the whole Hosanna business. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna is all about welcoming a savior king. And Hosanna is a weird word. 
It is. Um, Hosanna, the English word, we get that. Translators get that because what they did is they took the Greek word and they just used English letters for every sound in the Greek word that appears in John 12. And then the Greek word, where we get that, where they got that from, is translators took the Hebrew word in in Psalm 118, and they just took Greek letters and used them for each sound in the Greek phrase. So Psalm 118, it's actually the only place in the Old Testament that this Hebrew phrase appears, that we get our word Hosanna from. It's the only place that it appears, and back then, what it meant was save, please. Yeah, if you were to like be pushed into the deep end of the pool, and you don't know how to swim, you would look to the lifeguard and yell, Hosanna, save, please. Okay, but that word, Hosanna, it changed its meaning over the years. From when King David used it in Psalm 118 to when the crowd welcomed Jesus, it, it had changed its meaning. It had become, instead of a cry for help, it had become an exclamation of praise, of exaltation. It went from save please to salvation is coming. So, Rather than, you know, before it would be you'd be drowning and you'd yell out Hosanna. What it changed to is you're drowning and you see the lifeguard coming and you'd yell out Hosanna. Salvation is coming. Hooray. David Hasselhoff is saving me. Woo. <laughs> see, Hosanna had changed from a plea to a praise. It had gone from, you know, a cry to confidence. Now, I'm sure you're all deeply fascinated by the etymology of the word Hosanna. Here's the thing. How are we using it, right? In what way are we crying out Hosanna? No way, right? Because Hosanna is a weird churchy word and we don't, normal people don't use it. Okay, I get that. But what is the position of our hearts? That's really the question when we welcome Jesus. And there's really three possibilities. One is we're ignoring, we're avoiding Jesus. There's no welcome at home at all, no Hosanna. The second is that we're crying out Hosanna because we are drowning, right? We need, it's like Jesus, I need help. There is trouble in my life. Come, I need you. And then the third possibility is that we're crying out Hosanna because he has saved us and the future is breaking through. We are living the future now and we are excited and thankful for that. How are we welcoming Jesus? For me, in my life, I gotta be honest, I still do all three. Um, there are times when I avoid Jesus because I wanna hold on to my sin and that is wrong. Um, there are times when I cry out to him and there are times I celebrate how he has saved me. How about for you? What's going on in you now? How are we welcoming the king? Okay, next. Um, we want, we need a powerful king. That's Hanukkah. That's the palm branches that we see here. See, the story of Hanukkah, and by the way, it wasn't Hanukkah time. <laughs> it was Passover time. Uh, Hanukkah is about remembering, it's about commemorating Judas Maccabeus. He had driven out the pagan invaders, he had cleansed the temple, and it, he, he, it was about celebrating how the Maccabees had become kings of Israel. 
On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered it, Jerusalem, with, pray, with praise and palm branches, palm branches, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Hanukkah. The palm branches, they point back to a time when Israel had a powerful, a fierce, a liberating, a conquering king. We all long for that kind of king, for that lion. Yeah, Palm Sunday, the symbolism of Palm Sunday, the waving of the palm branches is welcoming that kind of king, that kind of boss into our lives. In many ways, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we are asking him to conquer us. And yeah, that makes us nervous because we need the combo king, right? The, the only thing that makes it healthy and good is because Jesus is also meek and lowly and sweet. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, now, let's think about this. If Jesus isn't conquering us, what is? As the great theologian, Bob Dylan, said, well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. If Jesus isn't our king, something else is. Maybe it's our sin. To what extent is lust and gluttony and greed, wrath and envy and pride. To what extent are, do those things control our lives? Maybe it's our addiction, right? It's the drugs, the alcohol, the shopping, the gambling, the eating, the porn, the screen time, whatever it is. What, to what extent do those dictate our lives? Maybe it's our fear, our anxiety, our low self-esteem, what other people think about us, those are the things that, that control, that force us to do things. Or maybe it's actually a really good thing, right? It is our great job, our career, our wonderful family, our spouse, our friends, our relatives that are controlling our lives. Even if it's a good thing, it will eventually fail us. And the invitation today is to trade up to serve the Lord, because he has the power to actually free us from whatever enslaves us. He has the power to make our lives better. Will we surrender to him? Will we welcome him as our king, our powerful king? Okay, next. We want, we need a meek, a lowly king. This is Jesus riding in on a donkey. This is um, the good shepherd, right? Let's actually, right now, let's do a little bit, bit of a flashback. Let's go back to John chapter 10. We were there four weeks ago. Four weeks ago, Brian talked about how Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And Brian mentioned how that is a royal, it is a kingly claim. We probably don't remember that because for us today, that don't make sense. No, when we think of good leaders today, we think of like Winston Churchill or Colin Powell. We think of Oprah Winfrey or Kylie Jenner. We think of Iron Man or Captain America. 
Back then, if you asked folks, who's a good leader? Who's a good king? They would have said, oh, shepherd, shepherd, the guy, you know, the guy that watches the sheep. Seriously. <laughs> I don't know. It seems crazy. Um, N.T. Wright, he was a, he's an expert on the first century, and he writes, in the Bible, the picture of the shepherd with the sheep is frequently used to refer to the king and his people. In the modern world, we don't think of rulers and leaders in quite that way. Yeah. But in the Bible, the ideal king is pictured as a shepherd, like in Ezekiel 34, perhaps modeled on the shepherd boy David, who became the king after God's own heart. In a world where they knew about the intimate contact and trust between shepherd and sheep, this was their preferred way to, to their preferred way to, of talking about kingship. Yeah, power is great in a king, but you need the combo. We long for a leader that knows our name, that knows our story, that knows our hopes and dreams. We want a leader that's approachable and gentle and kind to us. That's the kind of leader that makes their triumphal entry not on a giant war horse, but on a little baby donkey. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. And this is the full version from, from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout Daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We're attracted to the love, to the warmth, to the, uh, to the unpretentiousness, the down-to-earth nature of a lowly king. And by the way, it's only a lowly, a humble king that can actually truly save us. Let's never forget that Jesus, the only son of God, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He became human. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and died on the cross to rescue us, right? To, to pay the price, to experience hell in our place so that we could get his righteousness, his perfection, so, so that we could be with him and enjoy him and be changed by this perfect combo king. Will we respond to his humility by humbling ourselves and accepting his gift, welcoming him as our king? And Will we let the lowly, the, the humble sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, will we let it change our hearts? Will we let it grow in us the ability to, to sacrifice for others? You know, it, it's only a lowly king that can look at us in the eye and smile and say, hey, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Go the extra mile. Who is God inviting us to sacrifice for? Who's the enemy that we're going to love this week? See, Jesus is the perfect 
combination king. He is the savior that is so powerful as well as meek. He, he, he can open the scroll hole, right? He can save the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the slaughtered lamb. But enough about Jesus. Let's talk about our favorite subject, us. Yeah, this is gonna be kind of the bad news part of today's talk. See, um, without Jesus, we are just slaves. We are just endlessly trying to save ourselves. And we are, each of us, either barbarians or we are wimps. Yeah, we go out into the world, into our culture on our own, and many of us, what we do is we just try to get everything we can out of this culture. And in many ways, we hate this world, but we're like, you know what? I'm just going to get my due, right? I'm going I'm to get my money. I'm going to go out there and get the status, the accomplishment, the success I deserve. I'm going to get the family and the, the home I want. And I, I, You know, this world might stink, but you know what? I'm going I'm to get my desires, my wishes, my needs met from this world. Others of us, we're not trying to use, control this world. We're trying to take advantage of it, right? We're drinking it in, the good stuff in this world. We're like, yeah, there's great stuff in this culture, this world. We're, we're letting this world mold and shape us. It's molding the, the way we see what's right and wrong, our morals. It's molding our outlook, our, our values. We're, we're, we're riding the wave in this world. You see, we're either barbarians or we're wimps. We're either using this world or we're letting it use us. But Jesus, as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to serve, to serve this world, to transform it, right? We're, we're not called to hate this world or this culture or to adopt it. We're called to transform it. And here's the hard question. If we're followers of Jesus, where is that actually happening? Where, where are we transforming this world? For example, in the Twin Ports, where are the neighborhoods that we have rehabbed? Right? Where, where are the counseling centers we've started? Where, where are the orphanages, the, the foster care centers? Where, where are we making a difference and transforming this world? Right? We're not being barbarians and using it. We're not being wimps and being used by it. But we're actually letting Jesus give us the power and the meekness to make a difference in this world. Where is that happening? For some of us, it is happening in our life. We are participating with that in Jesus. And Jesus is always calling all of us further in and further on to more and more of that. Yeah, Jesus, the perfect combo king, he is inviting us to be like him. Like him. And if we look at our lives and we don't see that, we don't see us making a difference in this world, we, we don't see much of us like actually becoming less barbarians or wimps, well, then I've got a story for us today. Yeah, it's about the donkey. Yeah, the donkey that Jesus rode on. We're going to call him Ted. Ted the donkey. And Ted loved Palm Sunday. Oh, it was so good for Ted. He loved it. But this isn't about, the story's not about Palm Sunday. It's about the next day, I guess, Palm Monday. So Ted, on Monday, wakes up, and he's like, yeah, this is going to be a great day. Woohoo! yesterday was so good. Whoa, what a great, he's looking forward to Monday. So Ted heads out onto the road to Jerusalem, to the marketplace, and he's like, here I am. 
and everybody just ignores him. So he heads on down the road to a crowded part of the market, and he's like, here I am. And people are like, what is he doing here? Get that ass out of the market. And they throw things at him, and, and they push him out of the way. And Ted is sad. So Ted heads on home, and he says to his mother, I don't understand. I don't get it. Yesterday, everyone was so excited to see me. You know, they were so happy that I was doing my work. I was carrying Jesus. And Ted's mama says, silly child, without Jesus, without the king, you're just a donkey. You can't do anything without him. Do you see? It depends on who's writing us. It depends on who's our king. It, it, it depends on, on what's setting the direction of our life. What we, it depends on what we're living for. Great kindness, great power comes in our life when we welcome Jesus as our king. Salvation comes in our life. The kingdom of God comes in us and it overflows to save the world. And we don't have to have the perfect faith. We don't even have to want all the right things. They didn't on the first Palm Sunday. But here's the thing. Like them, Will we welcome Jesus as our king, as our boss? Will we welcome Jesus as our king? Tell you what, we got a really cool way to respond to that today. Um, we're going to do something a little different here. I'm going to invite up the kids. Kids, come up now. <laughs> um, and we're going, the kids are going to come up here with their palm branches, and they're going to wave their palm branches, and they're going to sing, and they are going to lead us in worship. And this is a really cool way to respond to Jesus. For us as adults, remember that Jesus told us, he said to all of us, to enter his kingdom, the kingdom of God, we need to do it as children. We need the trust of a child. We need the humility of a child to enter the kingdom of God. So seeing the kids worship God and welcome Jesus as their king, that is great for us. It teaches us. We can learn from that. And also, this is a terrific reminder that, that there isn't more than one God. There isn't like a junior God downstairs that's super sweet to the kids and a powerful God that's up here doing stuff for the adults. There's just one God. We're all united in that. So, um, we're going to get situated here, and we are going to welcome Jesus as our king together. We are going to worship together with the kids. So, oh, why don't you all stand up?
Okay. That is great. And we're going to do some more of that, some more welcoming of Jesus, some more worshiping together. But first, we're going to have a little bit of a kid rodeo here. Uh, the kids are going to go to the sides. And if, if one of, parents, if one of these is yours, we're going to invite you to come up and claim your child. Um, and you bring your, be sure to bring your sticker because we need to make sure that they're actually yours. And you don't, it, it's okay if you don't. They're still, all the kids are going to stay and worship with us. You can claim them downstairs like normal. But if these are your children, We'd love for you to come up and claim them now, for, for real. Um, because what we're, why we're doing this is because it gives us an opportunity to worship together as families. We want to give moms and dads and kids, biological families, the chance to worship together. But we also want to give our broader Duluth Vineyard family the chance. As the kids come out into the auditorium. We want to give us all a chance to worship to, together as one spiritual family and really to ask the Holy Spirit to unite us together as an intergenerational family. If you're watching at home and you have kids, this is a great time to pull those kids closer. Give them a hug. Sing with them. If they're teenagers, they'll run. I understand. Um, but if you don't have kids at home, Always remember that when you watch at home, that we're with you in spirit through the Holy Spirit. And these kids today are with you. So again, we're going to take a little time here. If you have kids, come up, grab them, bring them down. This is worth doing. This is going to be a powerful thing to worship together as families. Also, you know, as we're getting ready to worship here, I'd invite all of us to consider our Hosanna. We talked about this before. Consider how we're welcoming Jesus for you personally. Like, when we sing Hosanna here, are, are you just playing along? Are you actually really ignoring, avoiding Jesus in your life? If that's the case, as we sing the songs, talk to Jesus about that. What's standing in the way of you surrendering more and more of your life to Jesus? Or maybe surrendering for the first time. Is your Hosanna, is it a cry for help? You are drowning in your life? You need Jesus? If that's the case, take time as we're singing to get specific with Jesus. Where are the areas you need him? Start to receive his help as we sing. Or maybe your Hosanna is a shout of praise. Jesus has done so much in your life. Again, as we sing, get specific with him. Talk to Jesus as we enter into worship here. All right. We're going to uh, worship, and here we go. 